0: If you love chilling mysteries, unsolved cases, and a touch of mom-style humor, Moms and Mysteries is the podcast you've been searching for. Hey guys, I'm Mandy. And I'm Melissa. Join us every Tuesday for Moms and Mysteries, your gateway to gripping, well-researched true crime stories. Each week, we deep dive into a variety of mind-boggling cases as we shed light on everything from heists to whodunits. We're your go-to podcast for mysteries with a motherly touch. Subscribe now to Moms and Mysteries wherever you get your podcasts. Just before letting Quen inside the gate, Stephen had gestured to his friend William McFall to stay out of sight. It's clear even by this point that Quen had no idea there would be another person inside the house she was about to enter. The next four hours saw Quen subjected to the most horrific attack. This is Red Rum, stories about the true victims of crime. Episode 59, Quen Nguyen. 28-year-old Quen Nguyen was born in Binh, Northern Vietnam. She was born into a family of an older brother and an older sister, Quinn. She and Quinn were incredibly close and although the pair spent their childhood and teenage years living in Binh, they both decided to relocate to the UK in 2010. When Quen was looking for where to study for university, she decided the prospects were better for her if she relocated. It was in 2010 that she started her studies at London School of Economics. The two sisters were inseparable, and it seemed that their lives would time up perfectly, both giving birth to children over the following years. Quinn first had a daughter, and then a year later, a son. And Quinn also had a daughter. The two families had, by this point, relocated up to Newcastle and were living together. Quinn and Quen opened up a Britta Nails, a nail bar in Gateshead. This was one of many big steps together since they'd both moved to the UK, but this one was perhaps their proudest. The business was run by them, for them, and would allow them to fully provide for their children. Over time, the business did really well and it meant that not only were the two families completely self-sufficient, but also that Quen could treat herself to the little things in life that she enjoyed. She liked to take care of herself and would take pride in her appearance. Quen would use the money that she'd worked so hard for in the week to go out and shop for expensive clothes. She saved up for a beautiful watch and an expensive handbag, two items she'd be forever proud of as showing part of what she'd managed to achieve since moving here. Quen was also keen on helping others especially given that she had made the challenging move from Vietnam all those years ago and she knew how hard it could be, especially if you didn't have anyone to help you once you arrived in the UK. Because of that, Quen volunteered at a centre that helped people who were Vietnamese and had moved to the UK but didn't know English. She helped them to find accommodation and communicate with different services and agencies. She'd helped them set up their lives, just as she did, She was passionate about helping others. It was in her nature. She was an incredibly trusting and giving person and would use her spare time to connect with people. Gwen had been volunteering for a few months when she headed into work like any other day. She was used to meeting new people within that role. And on this day, she met 39-year-old Stephen Unwin. As part of Stephen's job, he'd been tasked with showing Gwen round a property that day, Stephen ran a property maintenance business, so knew many of the neighbours and people local to the area. Stephen and Quen hit it off right away, and Quen mentioned to her sister that she really liked him. He was polite and kind, and showed her a lot of the local culture that she hadn't yet discovered. Over the following few weeks, he would continue to show her properties as part of his job, and the two continued building a sort of friendship. Quen's sister and the rest of her family had heard of and knew of Quen's professional relationship and even friendship to Stephen and thought of him as a perfectly normal person. They knew Quen liked him and thought highly of him. Stephen thought of himself as a bit of a joker and sometimes when he and Quen were together he would joke with her about how rich she must be. He commented on how well she took care of herself and after seeing her expensive watch and that designer handbag she'd have with her most of the time, he asked how rich she really was. Quinn shrugged this off. It didn't bother her and she was just happy to be making progress in both her personal and professional life. On Monday the 14th of August 2017, Quinn and Quinn headed into work at Britta Nail Salon just like any other day. On this day, they had their children with them. It wasn't an issue. Quinn's daughter Anna and Owen's son David got on really well and would easily keep themselves entertained. Towards the end of the day, the sisters decided that Quinn would take the children home and get started on dinner, while Quinn stayed to clean up the shop. Quinn would usually finish a little after 6pm and then come straight home. But on this particular Monday, she didn't. Quinn called her sister. She was going to make sure that dinner was ready for when Quen returned home, so she just wanted to check in, but Quen said not to worry. She wouldn't be back for a little while as she had some business she needed to take care of. She was heading there now, so she wouldn't be back until later. The rest of the evening was pretty uneventful in the Nguyen household. Quinn finished up dinner for herself, put the children to bed and headed to bed herself. But when she walked past her sister's bedroom at midnight, she noticed that her door was slightly ajar and Quen still wasn't home. She assumed Quen must be out with her friends, so didn't worry at that moment. But in the morning at around 5am, when Quinn walked past Quen's room again, she saw that she still hadn't returned home. That's when she began to worry. She tried calling Quen's phone, but there was no answer. She immediately tried calling a number of her friends to check in on her, but no one had seen Quen. It was now clear that something wasn't right. Quinn spent the next few hours frantically searching for Quen. She called everyone else she could think of to see if they knew where she might be, but no one could help. She reported Quen as missing, and then she got in her car and drove straight to the salon. Unsurprisingly, Quen wasn't there. Quinn got straight back into her car and began driving around their known local hangouts, and even started driving down the streets between their house and the salon, just in some kind of hope she may come across her sister, but there was still no sign of her. By this point, Quinn was extremely worried. She'd never gone this long without hearing from her sister, and along with the fact that she wasn't answering her phone and none of her friends had seen or heard from her, Quinn knew something was terribly wrong. It was later on that day, Quinn got a phone call from the authorities. Her sister's car had been found in the early hours of the morning. It had been abandoned and set on fire. And there was a body inside. Firefighters had been called to the blaze down a country road a little after midnight. They managed to put the fire out, but inside, they found the charred remains of someone they initially thought was a child. Identifying the body proved to be difficult because the heat had been so intense that the bones had fused to the back of the car. Dental records were used to identify the body as that of Quen Nguyen. Although firefighters had initially believed the body to be that of a child, it was quickly revealed that the dental record match showed a woman who was petite. Quen stood at just five foot tall and weighed around seven stone. It didn't take long for investigators to piece together who was responsible for this horrific murder, owing to the fact that the perpetrator had used Quen's bank cards to withdraw cash in a local co-op shop. What actually happened on that deadly night would only truly be known to the three people inside the house, and so the details are sketchy but the agreed version of events were constructed by the prosecution with both perpetrators' accounts of what happened that night and various bits of CCTV footage. Quen left the salon and got into her Audi car. She'd arranged earlier in the day to meet Stephen Unwin, the man she'd struck up both a professional relationship and a personal friendship with. Quen agreed to meet Stephen at his house in Houghton le Spring in Sunderland so that he could show her a rental property as part of her volunteering work. So, that evening, she made the short four-mile journey across to his house and parked in the alleyway just at the back of the house. At this point, it was 7.30pm. After a few moments of waiting outside, texting him that she'd arrived, Quen was greeted by Stephen at the back gate and she made her way inside. Just before letting Quen inside the gate, Stephen had gestured to his friend, William McFall, to stay out of sight. It's clear even by this point that Quen had no idea that there would be another person inside the house she was about to enter. The next four hours saw Quen subjected to the most horrific attack. Quen was dragged through the house and into one of the rooms on the ground floor. It was there that she was beaten. The motive initially being to get the details of her PIN numbers and other information and the men also took her bank cards off her so that they could use them later on. It also became clear that Stephen had raped Gwen given that his sperm was found. He also used a toy lightsaber to sexually assault her. William had brought along a gun with him, which DNA evidence shows he used to both strike Gwen and sexually assault her. At around 9.40pm, Stephen left the house, leaving William there with Gwen. Stephen is then caught on CCTV walking into the local co-op shop and using Quen's bank cards to withdraw £500 from the cash machine inside the shop. He also bought some whiskey with the money he'd just taken out. After leaving the co-op, Stephen went back to his house and a little while later, William texted Stephen asking him to come inside from the garage. After just a few seconds, Stephen came back inside and it's clear that over the course of the next hour or so, Quinn was lying incapacitated on the floor next to them. At this point, although she wasn't dead, she was close to dying from those extreme attacks she'd endured, including at one point having been asphyxiated by having a pillow or plastic bag placed over her head. After that, Quinn was injected with a syringe filled with whiskey that they'd just bought with the money they'd stolen from Quinn herself. Both Stephen and William spent the next hour attempting to tidy and clean the house before cooking a curry together and then sitting down to eat it. They did all of this whilst Quen lay slowly dying on the floor beside them. By 11pm the men had finished inside the house and Stephen took Quen's car keys and went outside. He backed the car up so it was closer to the back gate and that's when he went back inside and picked up Quen. He tossed her over his shoulder and William helped place a white sheet on top of her so as not to draw attention from anyone outside who might be a witness. At 11.35pm, the two men placed Quen in the back seat of her Audi car and drove to the nearby allotments. Once there, they got out of the car, doused it in petrol and set it on fire. According to the forensic evidence, it is likely that although Quen was incapacitated and too injured to move at this point, she was still alive. The fire brigade arrived around 30 minutes later and put the fire out. They soon discovered Quen's charred remains but, as I mentioned earlier, she was so badly burnt that they were only able to identify her by her dental records. After setting Quen's car on fire, Stephen and William calmly walked back to Stephen's house. Around five minutes after arriving, the pair got into Stephen's car and drove to a nearby post office. On that drive, William got his phone out and then took a selfie of the two of them. After they arrived at that post office, William made more cash withdrawals from the outside ATM using Quen's bank card, and then they drove back to Stephen's house where they did some last bits of tidying and cleaning before going to sleep. The next morning, both men went about their days as usual. CCTV footage shows the two of them in a pub as well as being out shopping. The evidence mounted up quickly and focused in on Stephen Unwin and William McFall as suspects. Investigators found text messages between the two men, plotting and planning the murder of Quen. There were also messages throughout the night they killed Quen. Early into the investigation into Stephen and William, it quickly became clear that the two men only knew each other because they'd met in prison, whilst they were both serving life sentences for the separate murders of two pensioners. The question then became, why were Stephen and William ever released in the first place? To understand how this had happened, investigators needed to take a look at who Stephen and William really were. William McFall was born in 1967 in Northern Ireland and grew up in Green Island in County Antrim. His parents weren't particularly involved in his life and he kept himself to himself. He didn't really have any friends. He and his siblings, two sisters and a brother, were all left to just get on with life themselves. One day, he was seen walking down the street with a chainsaw, and it's reported that he would always be carrying a weapon of some sort, although usually it wasn't as outwardly terrifying as a chainsaw, and would be whatever he could get his hands on, sometimes a stick or plank of wood, other times a hammer. Although William was aggressive towards other children his age, there aren't any reports of him being outwardly violent towards other people. But there are a number of accounts of him hurting and killing animals, including sneaking into his primary school one evening and killing all of the class's fish. And another time, he cut the heads off of 40 mice. Over the next few years, William began breaking the law more and more often and eventually had a rap sheet for various crimes, including violence and firearms offences. During one of his prison stints, William told his cellmate that he was planning on robbing one of his elderly neighbours once he got out. He said he knew for a fact that she had a huge amount of cash hidden under her bed and he wanted it. Her name was Martha Gilmore and she was an 86-year-old widow with quite severe arthritis. Because of this, she needed carers to come into her home and help in the morning after she woke up and the evening before she went to sleep. One evening, after William had been released from that prison stint, he made his way from his house to Martha's, just a hundred or so yards away. He brought a hammer with him, with the intention of causing some kind of harm to Martha. He knocked on the door and waited, but there was no answer. With that, he decided Martha must be out. What he didn't realise is that because of her severe arthritis, Martha was inside the house and had heard the knocking, but she took a fair while to actually get out of bed and over to the door because of her mobility issues. William had become impatient, however, and had broken in. He forced his way into the front hallway and as he looked up, he saw Martha standing just a few feet in front of him. On realising that Martha had seen him, he used the hammer to strike her on the back of her head three times. This immediately killed her and he dragged her body further into the house. In doing so, he actually broke her sternum, a bone which is notoriously incredibly strong and must have had some force thrust upon it to break it. He then fled the scene. It wasn't long before police zeroed in on William and arrested him for Martha's murder, but he denied any involvement. Forensic evidence, however, clearly placed William at the scene of the crime his fingerprints were found on Martha's inside door frame, despite him saying that he'd never, ever been there before. William was sentenced to life in prison for Martha's murder. Originally, he was placed in a prison in Belfast, but soon after, he was moved to a different prison, all the way over in Kent. It's there that he met Stephen Unwin. Stephen Unwin was born in 1968 in Durham. He was just 13 years old when he committed his first recorded criminal act of arson, and he went on to have a number of dealings with the law, including theft and burglary. When Stephen was just 17, he burgled the house of a 72-year-old amputee in the nearby area. He also set the house on fire before leaving, even though the elderly man hadn't woken up and wouldn't have been able to identify Stephen. Thankfully, the elderly man was rescued by neighbours who had seen that the house was on fire, and he did survive. Stephen then went on to try and sell some of the things he'd stolen from the house, and as they were identified as having been stolen, Stephen was arrested. It wasn't long after that that Stephen met another pensioner, 73-year-old John Greenwill. He and Stephen were neighbours, and one day, Stephen went into John's house. He stole an expensive camera, but returned it later, after one of his friends convinced him to. Stephen, however, returned a few days later and used the camera to hit John on the head, causing extensive brain damage and a fractured skull. He then stabbed John in the chest and before leaving, he grabbed the TV set and video player and then set fire to John's body and the house. It came to light he did this out of rage after he'd been made to return that camera. Even though John didn't actually know it was Stephen who had stolen it, he was still furious. Stephen was quickly arrested after two police officers had seen him walking down the street just minutes after the house had been set on fire and he was carrying John's TV and VHS player. Stephen was charged with murder, which he pleaded guilty to, and he was sentenced to life in prison. However, those sentences were not to be lived out in prison for both men. In 2010, William McFall was released from prison and moved to Blackpool. In 2012, Stephen Unwin was released on licence, which meant he was going to live the rest of his planned sentence on supervised probation. Ultimately, he was freed. Both men served just around 14 years of their life sentences in prison. Stephen moved to houghton Spring, where he got a partner and had a baby girl with her. He also began working in property maintenance. He and William had reconnected on Facebook and started speaking again. They picked up where they left off and were back to being the best of friends. It wasn't long before he and his partner broke up and Stephen began spending more and more time with William. William would come up to visit Newcastle often and would stay with and even work with Stephen. They'd work renovating properties across the local area, but they also began getting back into criminal activities such as stealing from cannabis farms and then going on to sell the drugs. Stephen looked after his daughter on weekends, including on the days prior to Quen's murder. On that last time he had his daughter stay at his house, he'd been with William and the pair had driven together to Stephen's ex-partners to drop his daughter off. The lightsaber that he'd sexually assaulted Quen with belonged to Stephen's daughter. The trial for both men took place in 2018, where they both gave different versions of what had happened that night. William said that he walked into the house to find Stephen raping Gwen and then strangling her. Stephen said that he walked into the house to find that William was strangling Gwen. Both versions didn't make any sense with the forensic evidence that was presented at trial. During the trial... William made a gesture of cutting his throat. He also shouted at Stephen, apparently feigning anger towards his friend. Stephen was mostly unemotional and blank while sitting in the court, but at one point did shout at William to behave himself. But all of this animosity between the pair was soon shown to be false, after a number of letters sent from both men were read to the jury. Stephen wrote, I have put you in the house with me all night, mate, because we were right. Neither of us were involved, right? William wrote, Destroy once you have read, bro. We have got one hell of a fight in this case. More than 3,000 texts, photos and videos taken off my phone. All damning. But I'm smart in law issues and I've spent the last week going through a law book in the library. Obviously, William wasn't that smart in law issues, as he says, given that the guy sent the letter from prison. So obviously it was not destroyed once William had read it and was instead used as further evidence against both of the men. In April 2018, both men were given whole life prison sentences with full life terms. This rarely happens in the UK and there are actually just two of about 60 people to have this full life term imposed. This means they will never be released from prison. Quen's daughter now lives with her parents in Vietnam and her son David lives with his father in the UK. Queen's daughter Anna wrote a letter to David, her cousin, that had a drawing of the two of them holding hands together with the rest of the family. Every time anyone asks David where his mum is, he just points to the photo of her in their house. He's too young to understand that his mum won't ever be around anymore. Hello I'm Mark and I'm Bethan and we're the hosts of Seeing Red. We deliver intriguing, terrifying and dumbfounding true crime stories each and every week. With a focus on cases from the UK, we do occasionally venture overseas, we've covered everything from the mysterious death of professional footballer Emiliano Sala to the attempted murder of Victoria Silias, a woman who fell from the sky and lived to tell the tale. Binge our bulging back catalogue and join us every Wednesday for a new episode of Seeing Red.